You're listening to the Place Tech Podcast, sponsored by EcoI. Today, we'll be figuring out, on a practical level, what a smart building is, how you create one, and why. I'm joined by a panel of experts, got Phil Marsden, Director of Project Management at Muse, David Hodges, Director of EcoI, and James Thomas, Head of Smart Buildings and Technologies at Waits. Thanks everyone for joining me. Phil, let's start with you. What tech is Muse putting in at developments like Eden and Salford that you're working on? Um, yeah, so I th Eden, um, for those who don't know, is, uh, is the last uh, office phase at New Bailey and um, we've really pushed the boundaries in terms of the sustainability credentials on that building. So, you know, we had, we had a vision to build um, the most sustainable, and I mean that in its widest sense, not just sort of looking at carbon, um, the most sustainable commercial building that we possibly could. Um, and obviously, therefore, we were trying to attract occupiers who have who share that vision. Um, and therefore, getting the smart tech right in that building is absolutely essential to ensure that the building can be operated and managed um, to sort of fulfil its potential, I guess. Um, I think as we're seeing, we're seeing when we're talking to tenants who are looking to come into to that building, um, they've obviously got their ESG objectives and credentials and being able to, and I think for me, probably one of the, the most important bits of, about smart tech at the moment is around data and, you know, for, for, for occupiers to come into a building to be able to um, measure transparently um, and analyze the data around energy, water, waste, um, is absolutely essential. So, I think as our job as a developer there, where we're, we're creating a you know a cate office that tenants are going to come in and fit out, we need to make sure that the building is um, is built to allow them to do that, and that um, really we, we sort of then going to work in partnership with the occupiers to come in and say, right, these are the sort of base built systems that we've got that we've really pushed. I mean, we've got a smart tech consultant on Eden, which we've never we've never had before on one of our buildings, so that shows sort of direction of travel. You know, so when tenants come into that building, they can sort of seamlessly fit into the base build systems and get the most out of what they want. So I think um, you know that that's probably top of the list in terms of smart tech. It's around the um, the systems that go in there to allow the data to be analysed. Um, and then again, just on sort of commercial buildings, looking really about um, enhancing the user experience as well. That's probably the other aspect that sits sits high up for us. So you know, it's fairly simple stuff, but that visitor or, or someone who works in that building, giving them the best experience as they get in, how they get into that building, how they book meeting space, how they look at the air quality around the space they're occupying, that that overall sort of experience that they have in the building is where then smart tech can also help. And I think um, really trying to avoid sort of gimmicks in the building, which I think is something when you start looking at the sort of shopping list of smart tech stuff you can put in a building. What's a gimmick for you? We explored on Eden a system where potentially you could have full camera sort of surveillance around the building where you literally, and it's like facial recognition, you're walking up to a door and the door automatically opens and it's picking up who you are. And now that might, that might not be a gimmick as such, but you sort of think, well, actually, it's quite expensive. And how does that actually really enhance a user's you know, experience that building when actually they can just get through door access controls quite easily with their phone or whatever? So I think there's things where you can spend an awful lot of money and you've got to just weigh up whether they genuinely enhance the sort of experience for both the business who's trying to be more sustainable and also the building the people using the building um 
there's there's quite a, there's quite a lot of sort of things that you could probably fall into that sort of category. I think of being gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something we really try hard to avoid. Mm-hmm. So is the is the goal to make the building ready to be smartly operated? Uh, when we if we're, so if we're talking about a commercial office that yeah. we're developing to Cate, yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think that that is it. It's obviously different than if we're involved in the fit out of a building we're delivering a turnkey building then we're getting much more involved about what's going in the fit out and and, and so that is slightly different there and then obviously on you know we talk quite a lot about commercial buildings respected but residential buildings as well it's again then looking at what the purchaser of a new home will want in that building for them and how that helps them you know reduce energy costs and smart tech might then get a little bit i won't say gimmicky but there's things there around sound systems and security and all that sort of stuff you can put in residential buildings that makes that a, a, a better product, I guess. So it's mm-hmm. probably slightly different depending what, what sort of building we're talking about, really. Mm-hmm. David, what role do you play in uh, in these developments? Well, currently at the moment, um, smart and smart technology, as we know it, is, is slightly different. We are, as a business, predominantly install and build management systems for energy management. And, and basically, smart now is uh, moving towards uh, conformity with how data is managed within a building and how people can access that data and, and, and leverage that for either a user experience or, or driving energy costs further down. So from, from our perspective, we are very much um, the, the, the element that helps the, the, the construction side. We take the data from the construction phase and the design and ensure that it's correct. So when the building's handed over, uh, and the shell and core work's finished, is that the data is then being tested and what we like to call like sanitized. So when it's accessed remotely, if it be through an app or a third-party software, that it does actually know what the data is doing and that when they are turning something on and off in the building, that it actually is turning on and mm-hmm. off the right piece of kit. Mm-hmm. So we, we fall part of that delivery process as part of the contract. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do you define a smart building uh, James I'll ask you this question next <laughs> a smart building for me it's very emotive uh, and, and from my perspective it's it's making sure that the building is um, future proof and that the data is created with conformity so that third-party software may be like a in the future like a smart contract or um, a, if somebody wants to create a, a bespoke application to run the building or operate the building for customer experience is that um, the building and the, the products used inside it are capable of, of delivering that experience without um, low, using low latency. So, for example, turn the light switch on through an app that it can actually uh, respond quickly enough. Um, but also, it's created in such a format that when the building's developed and built, um, that anybody can come along and, and understand what that data is doing so they, they're empowered to, to, to create their own sort of like bespoke element. So like, for example, a fit-out contractor comes along into the next building. Uh, they, they are able to understand what the data is doing within that building so they can, they can build upon it. Mm-hmm. James, as the head of smart buildings, <laughs> uh, from our perspective, uh, we obviously look at the wider MEP solution. So being sort of involved within weights uh, and delivering solutions through weights, building services and SES. We look at the uh, digital enablement of the MEP solution as being sort of the route to creating that smart ready building. Uh, 
and by sort of having the right structure in place and having the right foundation in place, you can then put the the kind of systems in place that will support smart technology deployment in the future. So for us, it's about making it smart ready, really. It's not about pushing gimmicks and features, you know, to a, a developer that aren't any real use to them. It's about having the foundation in place that when they get an end user or a particular tenant, take that space from them that wants a particular feature or wants a, uh, an application, they can, you know, be rest assured that that uh, structure's in there already and it will support whatever tech that you want to uh, deploy in the future. Because mm -hmm. I, I suppose one of the risks with uh, technology is that it moves very quickly and buildings don't. So how do you how do you bridge that gap? How do you make sure that you're developing a building that doesn't go obsolete in two years time? I think it's it, it, again it's, it goes down to having the the right ICT infrastructure in place. So the the kind of approach that we would take on this would be to have what we refer to as a converge network. So that would be a network that is capable of supporting your MEP solution that you install. So you're looking at IP-based products then. So for your BMS system, you want an IP-based, you want an IP as far to the edge of the system that you can. So you want it to base like things like terminal unit controllers, which is a, a, a device that you use to control something like a fan call unit. It, it, if it's IP-based, you've got connectivity there. You've not got latency there. You're getting data straight out of the edge, uh, edge of your system. Uh, that obviously then goes across other systems like your lighting control, your security system, so your door access control, your CCTV, etc., all supported on a central ICT network that can be managed uh, properly, that's, uh, you know, cyber secure, uh, and then will sort of support future tech deployment and have resilience in there. Phil, mm -hmm. um, what are the biggest risks of not doing this, not doing what, what you were doing at in, in places like Eden? What are, what are sort of the, what's the risk to a developer for not taking smart buildings seriously? Um, well, I, th I think you, the, the biggest risk is that you end up um, creating buildings that don't suit the needs of, of the market, really. Um, and, um, you know, you, so you look, at, you look at Eden and where that is a, a, a really sustainable building, but if we didn't have the tech in there that allows occupiers to actually um, measure that and report on that, then it sort of falls down, I guess. So I think that the, the, the risk is that you, you, you create sort of almost stranded assets. So you might even have the building performing correctly in terms of its energy, but you can't, you've not got the tech in there to actually measure it and demonstrate that. Then that'd be, that'd be really disappointing wouldn't it, if you'd spent all that time and effort creating a really good building, but you couldn't measure it. So I think that's, that's the biggest risk you mentioned before about how do you, you know, risk of technology changing and um, how, do, how do you keep up with that? Well, um, I think for me, you know, we're not tech experts as a, de as a developer. Um, um, you know, we, we, and having the right advice is, is critical. And like I mentioned before, we, we brought in a company called Trust Tech on Eden, um, you know, and, get, and they're experts in, in building smart tech. So uh, having a consultant, a dedicated consultant like that, and uh, you know, historically, we'd, we'd probably rely on the MEP consultant to look at the, the smart tech that goes in buildings. But I think because to, to get that more informed advice, they know what's happening. They've got as good an insight as what's coming in the future as anyone, probably. 
um, and therefore getting them in as part of the team to advise you as a client about where to, where to go, I think is, is key and, and getting them in at the start as well mm-hmm. and then not being afraid of um, of change necessarily, you know. So we, we love to have a building contract, don't we? That, okay, you never change it because change is always a bit of a problem once you're, once you're on site, but actually, well, sometimes you have to embrace change and if, if tech is changing, well, how do we get that into the building? Because at the end, we want to create buildings that our customers want right? and, and suit the needs of our customers. So we, 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 I think having the flexibility to bring in change um, throughout the construction period is really important. But yeah, that, that, the, the ultimate risk for me is that you're creating a building there that's not suiting the, the, what, what people want and need from it from a building, whether that's a, an office or a, a, someone's home mm-hmm. or an industrial you know, logistics uh, building. So, Yeah. Uh, what, what's, what's the relationship between uh, Muse and EcoEye? Um, so EcoEye have been involved in quite a few of, of the Muse um, buildings, but I think it's an interesting point to explore where the sort of the relationship is is a few steps down. So you know we we have we have a, a, obviously a consultant team advising us, and then we appoint through a main contractor who'd appoint an MEP subcontractor who'd then appoint EcoEye. So you can sort of see the links that go down there, um, and so I think yeah, it's quite it's probably quite removed in terms of a, a direct contractual sense, isn't it, David? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, um, we form part of a contractual chain, so, you know, we need to report in a, in a structured manner. But when we're looking at doing a design now, I suppose there's a lack of uh, understanding of what a smart building is and how to build it, is that we are being elevated a little bit more to the front mm-hmm. with regards to the upfront design with the MEP side. But the good thing about um, appointing a smart uh, consultant like Trust Tech is that We've been able to work with them um, and, and be able to identify exactly what technology needs to go into the building to meet the needs. So they work in a in a different capacity. They they understand the demographic of how the building's going to be used, who you know exactly um, what the aim is, and then we we can together work together and, and explain you know the you know what the capabilities of the products that are being specified, and ensure that they actually do meet the aspirations. So. In this instance, like, you know, with smart buildings now, we need to be making decisions right early on at stage zero now. So working with the likes of Trust Tech uh, and working with the developer Muse, where we are also removed during the delivery process, that we do have a, a level of conversation now, a little bit earlier mm-hmm. um, because technology is moving so quick um, and, and trying to keep abreast of that is that making sure that the, the, the appropriate products are selected because... Mm-hmm. If you don't, um, you could find that you may, um, in a short period of time, need to start doing, you know, full refits or upgrades on, on products to 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 get them back up to to the the, the position you should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're working with a developer, is there any you know, broad advice that you give them on on how to figure out what exactly they need in a building? My my advice would be that, that is. When they uh, are, are doing the development, there's obviously some conversations about what the building's going to be used and how it's going to be used, and it's probably the the, the aim of the demographic of what they you know if it would be a, a younger generation who want tech or which is which is probably more the case is that they make decisions early and they feed that into the contract and they get cost certainty early because that's one of the key points is that when it comes later on in the uh, in the design and the budget is set. Sometimes you're trying to get the tech in, uh, and 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 it's difficult because there isn't the the, the cost there. But if you do it early enough, you can you can um, you have that transparency of cost, 
um, you'll you'll find that you'll be able to 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 get the 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 return on the investment, uh, and and obviously you'll be you won't be having to retrospectively pay more. So it's it, it, that would be my my advice certainly is, mm-hmm. is make decisions early and and set the budgets early. Mm-hmm. David, not to name and shame anyone, but how often do you do you see these things going wrong? How often do you see a developer, you know, ha- halfway or you know three quarters of the way through development, realize, <laughs> oh, we haven't actually thought about this as much as we should have done. Well, currently at the moment, pretty it's the norm. It's the norm, right? It, it, it's it, it, and James will will certainly um, endorse this. Is that is that most of the jobs I'm looking at is that they are usually on about stage three, part of the elements of the design maybe going into stage four, and it's now become you know they're seeing the the demand in the market and it's come really quickly and they're looking at other developments and they realise that if they don't implement smart tech, that they could be uh, you know the product that the developer may not be exactly what they need. So we we find that way. It's 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 more the case that we are trying to retrospectively put tech in, and that means it could be anything from the infrastructure is incorrect, but the ICT network needs a massive investment because they've specified it uh, incorrectly because you know it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be smart building when he when when he set out. You're perhaps already uh, that far down your design as well, or the the root of your design that you've already chosen particular manufacturers for products and systems that you know might not be smart ready, might not be digitally enabled. So you're going to have to then look at sort of revisiting product selection, which then drives cost into the job, and it 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 can add delay, it can cause abortive design and things like that. So if you're gonna truly get the most out of smart technology and that digital enablement piece, you need to be thinking about it right at concept, really. And, mm-hmm. and certainly, you know, no later than sort of stage two. But if, if you think about the life uh, or the timeline of a building's development, a, a lot of buildings that are on the cusp of being finished now would have been started before people were having these conversations in the way they are now. Uh, now, are, are there conversations that will retrospectively think, oh, we should have had those in, in 2022, you know, in, in five, five years down the line? And ha- how, do we, how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? Oof, <laughs> making a, it doesn't happen again is, I mean. Or that, is it just bound to happen again and again I, I, that I, we're I, on I, the back foot? I think, I think in, moving forward, I think, I think when, as this sort of like develops and the process develops, what we're trying to work on is, is conformity. So that gets repeatability, for example. Every job that's built has the same format of data. So there is, uh, for, a, for a developer, there is um, a return on their investment because we can then select products and we can get into an area where we, we, we are trying to pre-engineer systems um, and build them into, into uh, digital models so that uh, whatever they invest in can be reused um, and that's, and I think that will stop the the bespoke design for every single building, because at the moment what we do is we create a building and we reinvent the wheel quite often. Yeah. And uh, what's Muse's perspective on this? How, how do you keep on tro- top of what might be coming da- down the line? I think that's essential for us as a developer. Where we're we're, we're starting the design, the building that we know is going to be finished in two three years time. We've got to be we've got to be looking ahead and trying to trying to um, predict what's going to happen. I mean, for example, uh, sorry, I keep referring back to Eden, but it's a, it's a really good example. We um, we started designing that building. Climate change was obviously an issue, but it was 
um, nowhere near as sort of uh, prevalent as it is now. Um, and it was pre-COVID. Um, but we said we want to we want to build an ultra sustainable building. We could we, we sort of see that it was pretty obvious, but that's where it was. Everything was going the way the market was going, and what we wanted to do as a responsible developer. But also things like we were we were looking at that wider sustainability, so getting really good fresh air rates into that building, and actually, like say pre COVID, and now we've we've come out we're on the other side of that. Hopefully, and you look at the spec of the building, you think actually it's responded really well to that, and it, that was just because we were doing. We're trying to create the best building we can all the time, looking forward. And again, you know, we're not experts, obviously, in everything. Um, so having the right advice from from, from consultants, but then also the more expertise that you get from the likes of, of EcoEye, um, and 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 then making sure you listen and take that on board. But yeah, it's, it's an essential part of what we do, isn't it? Is looking forward and thinking right, what are the what what's the places and what are the buildings. That we're going to need in, in three four years time but like i say as well being being flexible and not not you know be, being open to change and 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 not just sort of going right that 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 that's that contract sorted and that's it that's what we're going to deliver always listening and looking and thinking about what what how do we make these buildings better and then actually embracing that and if that means we have to have to change a building then so be it you know you're not going to predict everything are you hmm. um especially with tech because it does change so so quickly do, do you work with uh specific uh tech consultants uh in terms of looking into the future and uh yeah making yeah. predictions yeah we yeah. do yeah so um so we we do we do quite a lot of a lot of that not just with tech consultants but actually yeah where 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 is the direction of travel we, we do we do spend a lot of time looking at that because like like you say it's so important we're looking at you know our, our development at the, at the crescent for example is a is a 10 15 year program and we're, we're master planning that now so you're obviously, I mean, you're looking, you're always looking forward. And that, that, that's that's the Crescent at, uh, in Salford. Yes, Crescent in Salford, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another good example where you start to think about smart tech there, but we're looking at, you know, that's 250-acre master plan, and, and um, you start looking at, well, how where, where is that going to be in 10 years? And, and you start exploring digital cities and how the buildings are, how the buildings are connected and how the infrastructure is connected and how all that works on a much bigger wider scale becomes really interesting mm-hmm. uh, and actually quite challenging and again it's you know like I say we're not the experts so we need the people there who can understand that and guide us to make sure we've got when we're when we're planning the master plan for example that we've got the infrastructure in so it becomes you talk about the infrastructure being wrong in a particular building well imagine on a yeah. on a 250 acre master plan if you get the infrastructure wrong there that doesn't suit what's going to be happening in 10 years to mm-hmm. allow the whole place to be connected digitally um that's what gets really interesting and quite exciting for us. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what 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 features of a, of a master plan like that are exciting to you right now in terms of the tech that you're that you're thinking about or already implementing? Um, I, I mean, there's some massive, really good infrastructure um, proposals as part of that master plan, and, and you know, keep, keep trying to create much more sustainable infrastructure. And uh, and how does tech come into how does tech come into that? Um, again, the, the, the whole place of we've got at present really exciting innovation zone, which sits alongside the University of Salford. That brings together a place where um, industry can work alongside research. And how are those buildings connected? So how if a business comes into the innovation zone and is sat next to the university, how can they work together? And actually, you know, the, a key part of that is that those buildings are connect properly connected digitally, so people can just move between those spaces. And even and 
even thinking about like robotics, you know, the university are building a new um, North of England robotics centre up there. The tech that goes into that, how can that link with then some of the other businesses that are coming in? Um, and I think um, it's, there's probably things going to be needed there. You, we, we don't even know on in, in that mass plan in 10, 15 years to allow that spot sort of environment to operate as it should. Um, so I think, yes, sort of around energy performance of the buildings, how that data is shared and, and transferred between the different buildings, things like fifth generation heat networks, how that all sort of works. Um, and then also the, you know, the, the innovation type zone, how those buildings all talk to each other um, becomes really exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, James, how much do you work uh, on, you know, inter-building uh, inter connectivity? So it's not just one building that we're thinking about, but, but multiple buildings. So, I mean, that for us is, is very interesting. So we're working on a, a couple of uh, very large developments at the moment in London where the buildings are actually interconnected and that's that's kind of the whole approach of that particular developer down there is about increasing data visibility uh, out of each of those buildings so that they can actually respond to that demand from the building. So if they can, you know, they've, they've got sort of data visibility of energy performance, uh, when their peak demands are, where their loads are, they can then get the grid to react to that and, and respond to it in the right way. And, you know, some of these buildings are on uh, sort of huge district heating and cooling systems as well. So it's all about making sure that the energy is there ready when the building needs it. And it's really, really important. And and you can see how powerful it is as well. Uh, so before we go, um, I want you all to take out your uh, crystal balls. And uh, I'll start with you, David. What's, uh, what technology do you think is going to be important for real estate in three to five years that we're not talking about as much right now? Glad you asked me first, because I reckon we'll probably have the same answer, James and I. Uh, but um, I think Li-Fi is coming. Um, we are working with a, a manufacturer who can now generate quite a lot of power out of the um, out of the switch, so we can power lights with um, Cat5 cable. Um, it gives you really good efficiencies for your energy, uh, but more importantly, it carries all your data and it can do location services and space utilization. Uh, and it works through a, a standard LED light. So we're talking, we'll be able to reduce energy um, by powering buildings with uh, without any mains cable for lights. So there'll be no testing. Um, but more, I think the big thing is, is that you'll be able to get all your data through the actual light wave through your light fitting. And um, because we can actually accurately um, track on that, you'll be able to manage assets, you'll be able to track people, uh, you'll be able to allow them to navigate more efficiently. So it's it's going to be a, potentially a game changer, but it's it's being commercialized as we as we speak. It's available. And is that is that going to create a bigger gap between smart buildings and everyone else? It it's going to create you know. You're going to need light in a building, and all of a sudden now you, you've, you're removing a few elements. Now you, you, you're putting your your data infrastructure through the light. It's not going to be entirely through the light, but you're going to vastly reduce your wiring. Um, so I would see I would see that being um, being you know a huge benefit. But the actual amount of capacity you can get through the light is is, is phenomenally more what you can do through a through traditional Wi-Fi. So you know this this means that you'll be getting a lower capex cost. Plus, you will be getting um, return investment via the the the, the capex spend, obviously. James, 
Uh, I think for me, it's probably going to be based more around the kind of uh, the data visibility side and, and and applying things like machine learning and, and AI to actually uh, predict how the building's going to perform, or and that'll be through, you know measuring and getting more granular detail out of your building performance data. So knowing how long a space takes to respond to the number of people going into it, you know, how long it takes to heat up, how long it takes to cool down, getting that data visibility out of the building and then being able to, to apply some real, you know, accurate analytics to it to then get the building to respond or the building systems to respond in, in good time. Uh, I think that'll that'll really change how energy is used and and how energy efficiency is improved uh, and optimized in buildings. Uh, I think there's you know there's a lot of exciting studies uh, going on at the moment. So certain universities are looking at things like predictive model control, uh, and that'll all come in, uh, you know, uh, all, all come on the back of that greater sort of data visibility. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of uh, a lot of startups that you know plan to do to do that and do that to different extents what's what's kind of missing in the market in from your perspective i think f at the moment a lot of the kind of claimed sort of machine learning and ai ai out there is is very rules based so it's not you know it's not true uh, ai uh, can you can you explain the difference so the 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 basic uh, or the the they have to base a response on a on a if this happens then this the you know it's it's kind of rules based so AI is all about uh, actually being able to respond intelligently to the to, to to what you're seeing so you know if you're getting energy performance data out of the building and you can see that a room's uh, heating up quicker than it has done the previous day then it's about the system being able to respond to that difference in change. And Phil, final I think, thoughts. I, I mean, I completely agree with what James said there. I think as occupiers, investors start to um, look to achieve their NABAS ratings on commercial buildings, for example, on their ASG types, that not just the data visibility, but being able to then analyze it and actually then reduce energy, you know, and actually look at the data and go out, well, this is how we can reduce our energy by analyzing that data. I think it's going to be really key. but. I think an interesting thing we've not talked about so much is the um, the creation of a digital twin of a building. So something that's coming out of uh, the building, building Safety Act, for example, about creating a golden thread. But that, that's just one aspect. Having a digital twin of a building instead of a, you know, you think about the old sort of way of having a set of um, operating manuals and health and safety files in a Libra Arch file. Well, that's sort of, that, that seems so old fashioned now, doesn't it? And actually really see um, every building having a proper digital twin sat alongside it that one obviously allows that fm to be managed so much better but also the energy to be analyzed and measured and also um you know just having that having that information there could be so powerful if you've got that digitally for every single building that you create i can see that being a certainly for us that's um likely to become the norm and, and you think even like residential um, purchasers coming to buy their home, you can give them a, a digital pack of their of their house. Um, I think is is a trend we're, we're certainly gonna we're gonna see over the next few years. And is is Muse looking into digital twins in current developments at the moment? Yeah, yeah, we are doing. Um, we're looking at that on a number of a number of developments, and it's quite interesting. It's um, you know the sort of way the buildings are being designed now it allows that to happen. So it's there's nothing sort of radical needed in terms of how. 
our designers are designing the buildings, then just how um, how that gets taken through to create that final digital twin. And, and again, it's trying to understand the pro- the real benefits of, of that and whether every single aspect of the building needs to be sort of labelled. Um, well, it maybe it does, but I think again, this, we're just trying to trying to find the be- the sort of benefits again for our for our investors, purchasers, and occupiers, uh, and understand. What we need to do to to to, to sort of maximise their needs, really. But yeah, we are we are looking at that. Well, that's uh, that's quite a few different things that we'll uh, we'll leave the listeners thinking about, um, and I'm sure we'll we'll pick this up in in five years and see where where we're at. Uh, but thank you all for joining me. Thank you to all the listeners listening. Uh, if you want more, go to placetech.net and uh, stay tuned for the next one. Thank you. EcoEye offers smart building consultancy, product design, and delivery of sophisticated building controls. To find out more about EcoEye, go to eco-igroup.com.